Yes. Um, and look, be encouraged that you're here this morning. Um, January, I think, is actually one of the hardest times to get to church, uh, especially because it's either like boiling hot like the desert or storming and like Noah's Ark, and, or in yesterday's case, both. <laughs> uh, Sky and I actually are away at Summerfest, uh, a mission of um, Northern Lakes Evangelical Church at the moment. I've just come back to preach and then I'll be heading back up. Uh, yesterday, we were setting up this carnival in the midst of the horrible heat, and then the lightning starts and the rain sheets down. The carnival's actually been postponed from yesterday, and they dropped like 18,000 flyers around saying, five o'clock, Saturday night, had to postpone it. It's now going to be 1.30 the Savo, um, because the weather has just been so crazy, hasn't it? It's been insane. And look, like I said, January is a hard time to get to church. There are all sorts of different things that might distract us. Um, be encouraged if you're here. Uh, This is a good time to come and continue to be fed by God's word, which is what we're going to do right now. So how about you pray with me? Lord God, we humble ourselves as we now come before you and ask you to speak to us through your word, the Bible. Lord, as we open now to this passage from the Old Testament, Psalm chapter 1, this is such an incredible passage the description of these two roads, as Jeanette put it. And um, we want to be those who learn what it means to walk the road of faith in you, to walk the road of holy living, to be the blessed person described in this psalm. So now, Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would work in our minds, in our hearts, and then in our lives to both understand, believe, and put into practice the things we hear this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, one of the good things about New Year's, hopefully you got a chance to do this, is you get to laze around. That's uh, one of my favourite things about New Year's Day. You just kick up your feet, do what you want for a little bit of time. And uh, so on New Year's Day, I flicked open some YouTube on the, the TV and uh, this video popped up saying how they train US Marines. Have you ever looked into this? This is my morbid curiosity. just goes, yeah, I'll watch that. That sounds great. Um, and uh, what the video was about was how they train US Marines for the very likely scenario in which they are trapped in a sinking helicopter. Don't know if it's ever happened to you, um, but uh, it does happen to them. (laughs) So what they do is they get like this this empty shell, it's like the chassis of of the helicopter, and then they strap them in, into their seats tight, in full gear, combat gear, and then just dump them in this giant pool. Like, hold your breath, hope you can survive. Now, uh, the twist to all of that is when a helicopter sinks, it actually sinks upside down because the motor, which is the heaviest part, flips around to the bottom and they get dragged down. So could you just imagine that? Imagine being one of these guys training for being in a sinking helicopter. You're strapped in, you're in full combat gear, you're in this, this shell that is now filling up with water, it's pitch black dark just about, and your lungs are burning, and you're about to drown upside down. What would you do? What's the first thing that you'd do? If it's unclip your seatbelt, you're just about already dead. Because the problem is, once you unclip your seatbelt, you start floating, and you lose your bearings. It's dark, you're upside down, and so you're like, oh, where's the windows? How do I get out? Where are the hazards? I don't know what's going on. You start panicking, and then you just give out. This this is what happens to almost all of them who unclip their seatbelt too early. And so actually the advice, or the training, 
is to get them to stay in the seat for as long as they possibly can. That's the whole point of the training. They actually have to stay anchored into the seat. And when they do, they're able to survey their surroundings, even though they're upside down, and sort of go, oh, there's the windows. I could probably escape through that one. Have I got any injuries? No, I'm okay, good. I need to be careful of that hazard over there. And they get their bearings, they stay calm, and only then do they unclip their seatbelt and make the way of escape. So it's psychological more than physical. There's a lesson in that for us as well, I think, as we come into 2019. Um, I want to make the case that sin is much like being stuck in a sinking helicopter. Right? The reason I say that is because sin starts often with a small choice to become unanchored. Right? It's just a small choice. Just, I'm going to unanchor myself. And then I'm going to float free in the waters of sin, as it were. And before long, I'm swirling and sinking and spinning around upside down in the dark. Now, there's a picture of that in Psalm chapter 1. Take a look with me, if you've got your Bible. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, look on with someone nearby. Or you can just pull out your phone and Google Psalm 1. It starts with a P, P-S-A-L-M. Don't know why. Um, Psalm chapter 1. It'll just come up, first result. Someone like that one. Psalm 1, verse 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. This is describing sin, this is describing the path of sin. And just notice, it begins with walking in step with the wicked, and then what? Standing in the way that sinners take, and then sitting in the company of of mockers. There's actually a regression happening here. It begins with walking towards sin, and then it's standing in sin, like this is actually where I want to be, and then it's sitting down. I've, I've planted myself, I've rooted myself here. And that's the way that sin often goes. It starts with, say, a decision to unclip yourself from God and His Word, and then it begins to grow, and before long you're stuck in it. And some of us have experienced this in different areas of our life. Uh, we've all experienced this in different ways. Uh, one might be, for example, in lust. It might start with a, a few clicks on an advertisement that pops up in your, your browser or on your internet. Uh, it might start with just a fantasy that begins to develop in your mind about someone that you know. It might start with a few sideways glances towards someone at your office. You know what I'm talking about? Because all of us struggle with this. And then, before long... It's not just a few little clicks, it's actually seeking out pictures or videos, it's developing the fantasy, it's beginning to develop the relationship, and then sometimes where it goes, if it's left unchecked for months or even years, is an addiction to those things, or a full-blown fantasy that overtakes your marriage, or actually developing the inappropriate relationship. Some of us have been there. Or it might be with anger. Right? Someone does something that, that hurts us, and we go, oh... That's tearing me up. And instead of forgiving that person and going through the process of working that through, we go, oh, I'm, I'm bitter and I'm going to hold on to it. You know what I'm talking about? All of us do this from time to time. And if we let that bitterness keep growing, then it becomes a phrase like, I could never forgive that person. Maybe you've said that. Maybe you know someone who said that. And then that phrase becomes a character trait. Right? I couldn't forgive that person. Then the next person who comes along gives me a similar hurt. Oh, I can't forgive them either. And then we start to become a person who's so 
hard-hearted and prickly that anyone who hurts us, we're very hard to forgive them. We all know people like that, and some of us have been there. This is the way that sin works. If it's left unchecked, then it grows. And it always starts with just a small choice, which becomes a series of choices, which becomes an attitude, which becomes a behaviour, which becomes our character. And we are spinning in the dark, upside down, with no way out, it seems. We could say this about lots of areas of our life, not only lust and anger, also say procrastination and laziness, seeking wealth at the expense of emotional, relational, spiritual health. We could fill in the blank anywhere. The, the uh, lesson I think that we get both from the US Marines and from Psalm chapter 1 is that it is so important, in fact essential, to stay anchored. That choice to remain clipped in to something solid and secure is what keeps us from floating off into sin and going down that regression of walking, standing, sitting. Take a look in Psalm chapter 1 and what it says to be anchored to. Starting again from verse 1, so I read the whole unit. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. What is it that we're supposed to stay anchored onto? It's the word of God. The word of God is what we need to stay anchored into if we are going to win the fight against sin, against which we all struggle. We need to read the Bible, believe the Bible, know the Bible, delight in the Bible, trust the Bible, grip hard, as it were, onto the truths of this book. Rob talked about that last week. He talked about why it's important to read the Scriptures. Why read the Bible? Because it's absolutely crucial to our faith and our growth in holiness. We're either anchored to God's Word or we are on the cusp of spinning around upside down in sin. So that's the why question. But what about the how question? The how question in some ways is a bit trickier to answer, isn't it? Because the why, yep, okay, we get that. It's really important. But how? How do I read the Bible for all that it's worth? That's the question that we're going to answer today, by the way. How do I read the Bible for all that it's worth? And this is actually where a lot of us get stuck. Uh, there was a, a survey done by a group called Lifeway. They surveyed a, a large number of churches and Christians. They found that 80% of Christians, regular church-going Christians, don't read their Bible each day. Okay? Don't be shocked at that, because we all know what that's like, right? We all go through seasons like that in our life, and the season might be for a few weeks or months or years or decades or whatever. We all know what that's like. Um, the cover of this book sometimes can just feel like lead, and on a daily basis it can be very hard to go to it. So how do we actually kind of push past that and read this thing over time in a way that actually draws out value and helps us fight against sin? Well, for myself... Um, if you're someone who's assuming that like, I'm not part of that 80% and maybe I've got this all together, that's not actually true. Um, I too know what it's like to go through seasons of laziness and of boredom with Bible reading as well as seasons of joy and of great change and transformation. Um, by God's grace, over the years, um, he's led me to become better at reading the Bible. 
which is, I just want to share with you today really a few ways from this psalm that uh, do help us read the Bible better over time and mine out the value that's there so that we might grow in our relationship with God and continue to fight against sin. Does that sound okay? Awesome. All right, I've got three things to give you today. Read consistently, read broadly, and read personally. Right, that's the map of where we're going today. Read consistently, read broadly, read personally. So to begin with, read consistently. Take a look with me at Psalm 1 again and the description here of the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord. Verse 2, his delight is in the law of the Lord and he meditates on his law how often? Day and night. You consider how often this person goes to God's word, the law of the Lord. It's day and night. Now that's not prescriptive. You know what I mean by that? This isn't, this isn't saying, well, here's the rule. You must go to God's word day and night or you're disobeying God. That's not what this is doing. This is a description, not prescription. And in fact, there's nothing in the Bible that says you need to read your Bible every day. If you can find that verse, point it out to me. I haven't found it yet. But does that mean that it's a bad idea to read the Bible every day? Well, certainly not. In fact, there's a picture here of someone who does consistently go to God's word. And just have a think about Jesus, for example. Uh, in the, the early parts of the Gospels, it describes Jesus going out into the wilderness, led by the Holy Spirit, and the devil meets him there to tempt him. You know what I'm talking about? And the devil says to him, Jesus has been out there for, for days and days and days. He's really hungry. He's really thirsty. The devil says to him, hey, why don't you just take this stone that's here? Hey, you're the son of God. You can do anything. Take this stone. Turn it into bread. What's he trying to do? He's trying to get Jesus to use his divine power in a way that is self-serving rather than other-serving. Right? It would be a functional denial of his sonship, his status as the son of God. What does Jesus do in response to the devil? Does he go, oh yeah, sounds like a pretty good idea. Let me think about it. No. He fires back straight away with scripture. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. He quotes Deuteronomy. So the devil says, okay, fine. Take you to the highest point of the temple. Throw yourself off. Prove to everyone that you are the son of God because God will save you. What does Jesus do? He shoots from the hip with scripture again. Straight away, quotes Deuteronomy. Do not put your Lord, uh, the, the Lord your God to the test. You see what he's doing? He has scripture like on tap. And so when the devil says his final salvo, just bow down to me and I'll give you everything. What does Jesus say? Worship the Lord your God alone and no other. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Jesus knows the scriptures. That's why he's able to fight against the devil and his tactics of trying to get him to sin. Now, how do you reckon he's able to do that? Because he's the son of God. Right? He has all knowledge. He's got everything. That, he's different to us in that way, right? No. No. He is the Son of God, but that didn't mean that suddenly he was born with all knowledge and has everything ready at hand. Jesus grew and learnt, just as we must grow and learn. Luke 2.52, he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Just take that first part. He grew in wisdom. Jesus grew in wisdom, which mean that, meant that at one point he didn't have wisdom. I know that sounds a bit odd, 
But Jesus had to learn obedience through what was suffered. That's Hebrews 5. right? So he actually grew in wisdom in the same way that we do. Jesus will have spent the time studying the scriptures so that he might be able to return fire against the devil when he comes, so that he might keep his heart pure and his life pure from sin, which he succeeded at doing. Jesus studied the scriptures and he will have done it consistently. That's the only way that someone can have scripture on tap and be able to fire it back when they are 40 days hungry and being tempted by the devil himself. Jesus studied the scriptures consistently. He gives us, therefore, an example to follow. And so consider this. Most days of the week, most weeks of the year, most years of your life, and there you've got a really healthy trend. This is true with anything in life, isn't it? This is true with exercise. This is true with diet. This is true with study. And so don't do with the Bible what I did in first year uni, which is, you know, oh, I'm pretty clever. I think I've got this uh, big exam coming up. I've got all night. No problem. <laughs> now, the thing was, I passed my exams, totally fine, but I don't actually remember what I learned in first year uni. None of it actually stuck in there. And the point with, with the Bible is not just to pass an exam. It's not just to get through Sunday morning or get through growth group or whatever. It's actually to put things in our life that form our character and our relationship with God. That doesn't happen overnight. That only happens by reading consistently most days of the week, most weeks of the year, most years of our life. And just a, a point on that, uh, consistency isn't glamorous. Isn't that true? No one looks at the sweaty, slightly overweight guy who's plodding down the side of the road and goes, gee, that's what I want to be doing. That's the picture I want. That's glamorous. You know, but something's happening for that guy. Something's happening exactly making him fitter and developing his character. Is it true? And no one looks at a construction site and goes, wow, that's beautiful. <laughs> but each one of the bricks going down, each one of the, the woods that are going up or whatever, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Each one of those things is developing the building, right? Even the greatest monuments in the world started that way, brick by brick. So too with reading the scriptures, brick by brick, step by step, and God is doing something wonderful. What that's meant for me is when I come to the scriptures most days of the week, I don't expect that it's going to be, you know, fireworks, and incredible explosions and being hit by a freight train of feelings, right? It's going to be most days brick by brick. And the big picture is God is doing something wonderful. That's certainly been my experience. I know that's been some of your experience too. So read consistently. That's the first key to being this blessed person who stays anchored in to God's word. Read consistently. Here's the second. Read broadly. Read broadly. Once again, take a look at this blessed one in Psalm chapter 1. Verse 2, His delight is in the law of the Lord, and he meditates on his law day and night. Now, hold on. It doesn't actually sound very broad, does it? He meditates on the law. So does that mean he just sort of cracks open the book of Leviticus and just goes through Leviticus over and over and over? I don't know if you've tried doing that before. Is that what that means? No. 
It's actually worth understanding what this word law means in the original Hebrew language. It's actually the word Torah. Have you heard that before? Torah. The Torah describes the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Right? So in any case, it's saying he meditates on the first five books of the Bible. But is that all? No. Torah also has a second meaning, which is instruction. Now, all of the scriptures actually give us instruction, the instruction of the Lord. That's why you get in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 to 17. Uh, flip over to it if you could. It's really worth seeing with your own eyes. I think if, if you ever struggle to read the Old Testament, if you ever struggle to, to get into it and think, oh, what's the point? This is the verse you need to memorize. This is the verse that you need in your mind. 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. 2 Timothy 3, 16-17. Memorize that verse, because this is a verse that shows us that all of scripture is God's Torah, God's instruction for us, And the blessed person is the one who meditates on his Torah, his instruction, day and night. That's the picture here. And so read broadly, not just Leviticus, not just the, five books of the first five books of the Bible. Rhonda's like, oh yeah, no one's reading Leviticus anyway. <laughs> no, but do read Leviticus. Read broadly. Read the whole Old Testament. Read the whole New Testament. Not just your favorite books. right? We all have our favorites. And not just the finger of power. You know what that is? That's where you sort of go, oh, I wonder what God has to say to me today. So you flick and then you go, ah, this. Right? You end up with something like, you know, don't boil the goat in its mother's blood or whatever, mother's milk, somewhere in numbers. You know, and then you go, oh, that wasn't the one. And so you flick again, oh, it's this one. <laughs> you know what we do? Don't do that. That's not reading broadly. You see, if we don't read broadly, including the whole Old Testament, including the whole New Testament, we become functional Marcionists. You're like, Dan, I knew you were going to say that this morning. <laughs> functional Marcionists. Let me describe what I mean. Marcion was a guy around in the early church. He claimed to be a leader in the early church. He wasn't really, but he did have a lot of influence. This is around sort of 140s, 150s AD. Okay? Long time ago. But this guy, he was extremely influential. So, so think like the sort of guys that would come out for a Christian conference here in Australia. Okay? Like the posters would be up saying, Marcion, one night only, you'd gather together with, with all your mates in the stadium to come and hear what this guy has to say. So you think, oh, Marcion, yeah, he's got a name. I understand who he is. I'll come and, and I'll hear what he has to say. So picture being in the crowd, the stadium as it were, listening to this guy or seeing this guy about to teach. And here's what he does. He picks up a Bible, and he goes and he rips out the first page. And he rips out the second, lets it fly onto the, into the ground. Rips out the third, and then he keeps going through. He rips out the whole Old Testament. And then he says, the Old Testament gives us a wrong picture of God. It's a picture of God who is judgmental and nasty and wrathful, and I don't like it. I don't think that's what God is like, and so we should reject the Old Testament. And then he goes through, and he starts ripping out the pages of the Gospels. Right? Goes through all the way through Matthew, all the way through Mark. 
most of the way through Luke. There's a few pages that he leaves in. And then all the way through John. And he goes, this Jewish Messiah? I don't think that that matters at all. I've gotten rid of the Old Testament, right? So there's no category such as Jewish Messiah. I'm getting rid of all of that. Then he goes through, he rips out a few of Paul's letters. He rips out everything from James to Revelation. He's left with a Bible that's like that thin. And he goes, this is God. (laughs) This is Jesus. And then he begins to teach some things. He says, well, since this is our Bible, we're going to teach that Jesus isn't truly a man. He's kind of more like a spirit who kind of looks like a man. And he didn't really come to save us from our sins. He came to do other things. And you see the problem with Marcion? Hopefully you do. He rips out all this stuff from the Bible and ends up with a very small picture and a very untrue and dangerous picture of God and of Jesus. Now, if we don't read broadly, we might become functional Marcionists. What I mean by that is we're not going to necessarily hold the same beliefs as Marcion did, praise God. But just like with Marcion, if we only ever read our favorite books in the Bible or whatever we turn to with the finger of power, then our view of God and our view of Christ and our view of sin and our view of the gospel shrinks to the size of our favorite book or wherever our finger may land. Do you understand what I'm saying? Whereas the picture of God that the Bible presents is much broader than that. It's a picture that starts in Genesis and goes all the way through to Revelation and includes everything in between. It's just like Paul said when he was preaching to the Ephesian elders at Miletus in Acts chapter 20, I did not shrink to declare to you the whole counsel of God's will. So we must read broadly. And I'll give you just a couple of tips for how to do that well. Um, and, uh, and look, this is a challenge before I get to those tips. It's a challenge for me. Um, the last book that I read to complete the Bible many years ago was the book of Jeremiah. Now, I'm going to do something a little bit risky. Put up a hand if you've read through Jeremiah in its entirety. Good. Praise God. That's great. That wasn't me until it was the last one I left for last because I didn't understand it. I had no idea what was going on. And so I kind of did this false start thing like three or four times until I finally got through it. Now, since understanding how to actually read broadly and understand the books of the Bible, I've come to love Jeremiah. So here's a couple of things that's worth uh, keeping in mind. Uh, The first is read book by book. Read book by book. Right? Uh, the Bible isn't actually meant to be read necessarily in just like tiny little chunks from here and there and just our favorite chapters from Isaiah or, or whatever. It's actually like every book of the Bible is actually a, a continuous unit from start to finish. You know, think about what we do with, with stories. Like you want to sit down and, and watch your favorite movie. You don't kind of just watch the intro and then go and cook dinner and then go and put on the end and then say, well, tomorrow I might watch the middle. You know, we don't do that. Or imagine if you, you receive a Christmas card from someone. You don't go, well, today I'll just read the first line, you know, Dear Dan, that yeah, makes me think, that's good. Some good revelation there. And then the next day you go, I'm going to grab a different Christmas card and I'm just going to read the end, you know, like from Knowles. Like, oh, that's good. <laughs> right? We don't do that with Christmas cards. We don't do that with stories. The Bible is meant to be read as units of text, book by book. Okay? And so what you might do is you pick a book of the Bible and you read it from beginning to end. Now, that doesn't have to be all in the same day. <laughs> it could be over a week. It could be over a month. It doesn't really matter. It's just that you trace the story through from beginning to end. Or in the case of a letter in the New Testament, you trace the logic through from beginning to end. That's the first tip for reading broadly. Okay? 
Now, when I did this with Jeremiah for the first time, I actually read it from beginning to end. That's when I finally understood and loved it. <laughs> I did the false start because I keep skipping around and going, oh, this bit's boring and going to this bit. But when I actually read it from beginning to end, I started to get it. And remember when Rob did that fantastic sermon on Jeremiah 29.11 and showed us, oh, here's what that verse is actually talking about. You know, up until that point, I'd just seen it on coffee cups and calendars and dog collars and whatever else. And, um, you know... I didn't understand really what that verse was referring to. I just thought, well, God wants good things for us. But when I read the book in its entirety, I understand the context of that verse. It's so much deeper. And I know I've got the truth of that verse now. So read book by book. The second tip is this. Read, let me get the phrase right. I worked hard on this. Understand the book that you're reading. Understand about the book that you're reading. Different books of the Bible have different genres, if you're familiar with that word. Different genres or different categories. It's like if you pull up Netflix and you scroll through, it's got all those different categories of movies or shows that you might want to watch. Or if you go into, imagine, you go into a video store. You have to imagine because not many of them exist anymore. You go in and there's all those little, uh, like those little signs that say, here's the action section, you know what I'm talking about? the adventure section, the romance section, and so on, the thriller section, the horror section, and you, you choose from one of those sections the kind of movie that you want to watch. Now, genre matters. Understanding the genre of the book you've written, the category of the book you've written, really matters. Because could you imagine if you went into the video store and you're like, I just want to pick up a movie for the kids. Right? They've been so hyper because of all this rain. I just want to give them something to calm them down. And so you pick up this movie and you're like, oh, this sounds like just a really peaceful Really calm movie. It's maybe got some barn animals in it. Silence of the Lambs. I was wondering if that would get a laugh or a groan. I wasn't sure. <laughs> right. But genre matters. If you don't understand the genre of the thing you're picking up, that's a horror film. Don't watch it. You know, uh, Don't give it to your kids. <laughs> um, then, uh, then you're going to make some mistakes with what you're reading. Okay. Now, um, we can't go through this morning all the different genres of the Bible and how they all work. There's narrative and letters and there's apocalypse and wisdom literature and all these different things. Um, Rob and I could speak for hours. One day, maybe we will on all these things. But until then, um, I would recommend this book, How to Read the Bible, book by book, by uh, Gordon Fee and Douglas Stewart. I've used this for many years. Um, this is something that was a huge help to me before I did theological education. It is still a great help for me uh, as I'm on the way with theological education. Um, I will make sure that this title gets emailed around if you're on the church email list. Um, and I'll post, uh, get Paula to post it on the um, Facebook group as well. Okay, So if you want to purchase this book, you can. Um, we don't have a copy on the church library at the moment. We may get a few out there. But this is the kind of book that you could use for years in terms of reading the Bible and helping you understand how each book works. Okay, So understand the book that you're reading. Read book by book and understand the book that you're reading. In so doing, read broadly. The whole Old Testament, the whole New Testament. That will help you stay anchored to God's word. Finally, and this one's a little shorter, read personally. Read personally. I've just got to come back to Psalm chapter 1 because my finger of power led me elsewhere. Read personally. Consider the blessed person again from Psalm chapter 1. He delights in the law of the Lord, verse 2. He delights in the law of the Lord. There's actually something emotional, something personal that's happening for him over time as he reads the word of the Lord. It's not just a tick the box. 
It's not just a, you know, this is an intellectual exercise like reading a textbook. There is something that's actually forming and changing his affections, the things that he desires. And take a look also that he meditates on the law day and night. Now, I'm not sure what you picture when you think of someone meditating on the word of God. You know, maybe it's like one of those Gandhi guys with a, out there is a home. Like, God, I'm, I'm emptying my mind that you would speak to me. Now, that's not, that's not meditation according to the scriptures. That's a Near Eastern picture of meditation. But the scriptural picture of meditation is really quite different. It's not actually emptying our minds that God would speak to us. It is filling our minds with how he has spoken to us through his word. You understand the difference? It's not emptying that we might hear the voice of God, like a still small voice or something. It's actually filling our minds with the words he has spoken through scriptures. In fact, the word meditate here is an onomatopoeic word. Like in English, we have onomatopoeic words like boom and crack that sound like the things that they are. You know, what's a whip sound like? Crack! The word sounds like the thing that it is. Here in the original Hebrew, the word uh, meditate is an onomatopoeic word. It actually sounds like murmuring. It sounds like someone sort of uh, continuing to chatter away at something, repeat something. It's actually someone repeating the scriptures over and over and over as they read and, and pondering it, considering what does this actually mean for me as they go through the words again and again. It's like with Jesus who shot from the hip when the devil came to tempt him, right? He shot from the hip because he knew the words so well. They were personally part of him. That's the picture of meditating here. It's getting to know these words so well that they are the fabric of our character as we murmur them over and over and over. It's meant to have a personal impact, which is why you get in verse 3 this picture of the blessed person. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. Yet meditating on and delighting in God's word actually leads to a different kind of life. It doesn't look like the world uh, in terms of walking, standing or sitting in sin. It looks like a tree planted by streams of water. It's, it's a life nourished in relationship with God through Jesus as the Holy Spirit works in us, obeying and putting into practice the things that we read. It's a nourished life in relationship with God. It's a, it's a life where there is growth in character over time. It yields its fruit in season, the fruit, if you will, of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of character. Because Jesus has saved us, but he's saved us to grow. It's life with a sure future. Its leaf does not wither. You know, contrast that in the next verse with the wicked. Verse 4, not so the wicked, they're like chaff. That the wind blows away, they won't stand in the judgment. Right? But the life of the person who is anchored in God's word, who is like a tree planted by streams of water, their leaf doesn't wither. They have eternal life. It's a life with a sure future. And it's a life where God uses everything for his glory. Whatever they do prospers. But do you see, as we're anchored to God's word, it's meant to bring about a personal impact, a nourished life in relationship with God, a life of growth in character, a life with a sure future of which we have a strong conviction, a life that glorifies God in all that we do. 
the scriptures are supposed to impact us personally. And so what you might do as you're reading through the scriptures this year is you might ask some questions about what this means for you and your walk with God and your relationship with him and your life. And uh, I've got some questions up on the screen here. Again, these will be put up on the website and the Facebook group. You don't need to write them down now. Um, it's with a very helpful acronym, as you can see, Space Pets. Now, the problem is I always remember the word Space Pets, but I don't remember what they all stand for because the acronym's just too entertaining. So use this as you want. But is there, as I read, is there sin for me to confess? Often the answer for me is yes, to be honest. Is there a promise to claim? Is there an attitude to change, a command to obey, an example to follow, a prayer to play, pray? Sometimes there are prayers given in Scripture. Often the Psalms are like that. Is there an error to avoid, a truth to believe, or something for which to praise God? Now, these sort of questions help unlock that personal impact of the Scriptures for us. And if we don't read personally, the book of James actually says, we're like a man who looks at his reflection in the mirror and then forgets what he looks like. Imagine a guy who's just got like all this grime on his face. He goes, oh, that's what I look like, and then walks away without doing anything. Right? That's the picture of us if we don't read personally. We're wasting our time. It's actually, there's another book I read where um, there's a guy, Eugene Peterson. He's with his grandson at the front of a, a library, and his grandson is reading the Bible, seven-year-old grandson. And uh, he's like, oh, isn't that precious? That's so great. He's loving God's Word. And he goes up to him. He goes, what are you reading? And he goes, I don't know. And then he looks at the Bible. It's actually upside down. <laughs> You see, we do nothing better than that kid unless we apply the scriptures personally. Right? That's how we stay anchored to God's word, as if it has a personal impact on our life. So there's three tips once again. Read consistently, read broadly, read personally. It's how we stay anchored to God's word in the fight against sin. And uh, to help us with that this year, Rob mentioned last week that we're actually going to um, advocate, encourage... Um, a Bible reading plan for us as a whole church. And we've done things like this in the past uh, with our growth group notes. We've said, hey, here's five readings for you that you could read during the week. We've had suggested readings in the bulletin. This is just now kind of going the next step with all that stuff. And so uh, just let me show you. We've got some bookmarks that will come up on the screen once the computer stops freaking out. There you go. Two bookmarks. They're actually going to release each term. They look like this. They're about this big. They'll be on nicer card than this, which is, is why they're going to be available next week instead of this week. Um, and it will take you through the Old Testament and the New Testament in two years. Okay, So it's not, a, it's not a massive pace, way too hard. I've done Bible reading plans like that, where you're reading four or five chapters every single day and you try and get the, through the Bible in a year. What tends to happen is you get stuck at Leviticus, even though it's worth reading, you get stuck. And then it's really hard because you're, fall behind, you go, oh no, and you give the whole thing away. Now this, we've designed this to be achievable. Okay? There's actually a plan that's being used in other churches and it's being used successfully. Um, so the idea is, in terms of how it works, um, there are two sets of readings each week, the Old Testament, New Testament reading. You can take it as you want, so it's not saying you have to do this one on Monday, this one on Tuesday, this one on Wednesday. We all have different schedules. We all have different work lives. And so what it is, it just gives you them as a, as a dump, right? Here's the readings for this week. A couple from the New Testament, usually two chapters. A couple from the Old Testament, usually five, ten chapters. Uh, and you can take those if you want as a big chunk, or you can read a little bit each day. Do it however you want. By the end of the week, we're hoping that you'll get those readings done. Um, in terms of the bookmarks, you can check off 
the readings that you've done. So you can see a little box there. Uh, the reason that we're giving two is so you can actually have one in the Old Testament and one in the New Testament. Because we're just going book by book. It's not nothing flashy. We're just going starting at the old, beginning of the Old Testament, starting at the beginning of New and going through. Right? So you can just keep those there and track. Um, or what you can do, here's what I'm going to do. If you don't mind putting some glue in your Bible, you can stick them just in the front like that so that they're there. And then we'll be releasing new ones each term. So you can kind of peel them out, look at the gross peel-offs and go, oh, why did I do that? And then cover it up straight away. Okay? So whichever you want to do. Um, another thing, this is just during the term. Okay? So it's not during school holidays. There's a couple of reasons for that. One of the reasons is because we do inevitably need time to catch up. No matter how um, easy a Bible reading plan might be, uh, we always fall behind. Part of that's our sinful nature. Part of that's just the busyness of life, isn't it? Um, and we, we get our priorities out of whack. And so what we recognised was uh, we need some time just to, to give us some margin, some space. So um, during the six-week Christmas holidays and during each other two-week block, um, the Bible reading plan won't be running. What you could do during those times, and what I'm going to do, is read Psalms and Proverbs, which aren't included in the Bible reading plan, um, just to make it more achievable. You've got to read Psalms and Proverbs, but, but just to make it more achievable. So you could do those during the holidays or use them to catch up. Um, and as I said, if you follow through this, you'll get through the whole Bible in two years. Really exciting. Now, in terms of how this plan will help, just want to think about it in terms of those three tips I gave you before. Consistency. Now, if you plan to fail, then... Oh, wait. If you fail to plan... I gave it away. If you fail to plan, then you'll plan to fail. Uh-huh, good. Um, so basically, this, this is the plan, okay? Like, you don't have to think about what am I going to read next? Oh, what am I going to choose? What am I going to do? Oh, here you go. It's all just here for you. We've done the work. So it actually makes it easier because the plan is there for you. Um, and then in terms of, like, I'm going to say, like, one sloppy person to perhaps another. Like, I get a bit sloppy with, with things like this that require consistent discipline. So one sloppy person to another. Um, this, is, this really will help with consistency. For one thing... Um, if we all get on board, it's something that we're doing together and there is great power in doing something together. It means that when we fall down a bit, people are there to help pick us back up. It's like, oh, I'm five chapters behind in numbers. Man, can you just, can you just give me a bit of like an overview? Because I know you read that last week. Can you just tell me what happened? And I'll go back and catch it up in the holidays, but just catch me up and then, then I'm going to get back on board with the readings for this week. That'd be handy, wouldn't it? And it's like, you know, when we're talking things through, when we're reading things through, we can talk them through to each other. That actually encourages us to keep reading because everyone else is too. And I want to want to be able to chat about what God's been saying to me. And then also, as I said, there's space for catching up. So it's it's not too onerous. This is something from one sloppy person perhaps to another that will help with consistency. In terms of reading broadly, um, it does take us through both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, it does read the Old Testament, as you can see, in bigger chunks. That is intentional. You don't need to read them like it says there, Genesis 1 to 5 with a tick box. You don't need to read the whole five chapters in one go. Um, but it is going kind of in bigger chunks because that's how we read stories. And most of the Old Testament is stories. Okay? Uh, in terms of New Testament, it's smaller chunks, usually just two chapters a week, so that you can reflect a bit more on what you're reading. That's the way that those books work. And uh, as I said, if it works, it'll keep going every two years, which means that anyone who joins our church and wants to jump in can actually jump in at the six-month mark. They don't need to start at Genesis. They can start at First Kings, and it'll come back around in two years' time, and they'll do the whole Bible in two years too. Right? So this is, if we get on board with this, something that really can work in terms of reading broadly. In terms of reading personally, well, that's up to you. 
It's not something that a plan can do for you, right? It's something that, that we do in our walk with the Lord. But something that helps is that if we do it together, then we can encourage each other. We can, at times, correct each other. We can, at times, help pick each other up. We can pray with each other about the very same things that we've all been reading together. And that actually helps make the personal dimension of this more real. So picture sitting down with your growth group and being like, yeah, man, I read that chapter from Numbers this week. Never read that in my life. And that was just really helpful because X, Y, Z. And he goes, well, let's pray about that, brother. Let's pray about that, sister. It actually becomes very real. Picture sitting out a morning tea and chatting about that chapter you read in Philippians. Going, wow, this really challenged me this week. You see, if we're all doing this together, it becomes easier to make it personal. Now, in terms of what you do in the meantime, because it's not yet school holidays, this actually kicks off on the 28th of January. What you could do is uh, what Sky and I are doing, which is we are reading the Psalms and Proverbs at the moment. It's good to get started on that if you'd like to. Um, what you could do also, if you wanted, is read through Ephesians, because uh, next week I believe Rob is preaching on Ephesians chapter 5. So you could just go through that book this week if you wanted. There's six chapters, six days. There you go. Um, you can choose what to do. And then uh, in January, we'll start this off. Uh, these bookmarks will be available next week if you want to grab them. Um, I'll also be sending them around via email. If you'd prefer just to go full digital with this, you can put the little picture on your phone and follow it that way. Um, but just to conclude, um, I'll just ask the question, what could be different for you in 2019 if you read the Bible consistently, broadly, and personally, if you went on this journey with us as a whole church? What would it mean for your relationship with God? What would it mean perhaps for your marriage, for your children, for your fight against sin, if you were anchored into God's word in this deep way that I've been describing, if you were like the blessed person of Psalm chapter 1? I really urge us to get on board with that this year and to really anchor ourselves in God's word. So how about we pray? Lord, you are so good to us, so merciful and kind because you speak to us through your word. Thank you that we have this, this sure testimony, as it were, uh, that we can stand on. Lord, as we've described or, or read the blessed person of Psalm 1, help us now, we pray, to become like this person who delights in your law and meditates on it day and night. In Jesus' name, amen.